And we thank you for our Jesus who makes it all possible. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Mike and Pastor Brian, for this opportunity this morning. It's good to be at a regular Baptist church. I've been at some irregular ones, and so it's good to be at a regular one this morning. I said, we're going to go to the Mount Carmel Regular Baptist Church. I wonder what that means. I don't really know, so you can tell me afterwards, all right? So we're not at the unleaded Baptist Church, though. That's, that's the really good thing. It's great to be with you this morning, and uh, you're, it's, what's really great is you're only two and a half hours from my house. So Chuck and I jumped up and rolled out at 6.30 this morning. That meant I didn't have to spend one more night in the hotel. And furthermore, I've got my two grandsons at my house, which they're rarely there because they live out of state, and so I was able to play all day long with my grandson Marshall yesterday. This kid wants to be outside nonstop, so if I have a little hoarse voice, it's because he discovered two little wagons in our garage... And he made me take straw, put in the wagon all day long, I'm being dead serious, and move it across my parking lot and dump it. We did that for hours. And so the kid is, he never wears out. May God help us. He's only three. But anyhow, had an awesome time. And so I can't wait to get back and see him this afternoon before they uh, head out of town tomorrow. So again, thanks so much for being here. What a beautiful service. Thank you, Pastor, for emphasizing uh, the dedication of children. There's nothing more beautiful than what I just saw here. I love the spirit in this place. I feel like I'm amongst some good people. And uh, when Chuck and I drove in across your mountain or wherever it was, and we came out in this valley, I said, man, have we died and gone to heaven or what just happened? <laughs> to, to be in a setting like this is so beautiful. And uh, wow, God can create some beautiful stuff, can he? And he surely has. So... <clears throat> This morning, um, I'll just, the only thing I'll mention about my organization is that at Renew a Nation, we are laser focused on one thing, and that is giving children a biblical worldview. Our mission at Renew a Nation is to inspire and equip the family, the church, and the school to give children a biblical worldview. Here's something discovered. When you get the family, the church, and the school all teaching God's truth, that is a three-stranded cord that is not easily broken. So in reality, I think we could solve most of the problems our nation is facing today if we could gain access to the millions of children in our country today and teach them God's truth. We could change this nation in a few short years if we had access to just the six, uh, there's 60 million kids from kindergarten to 12th grade in the United States of America today. If we could gain access to their hearts and minds by the millions, we could absolutely change our broken society and our broken world. So this morning, I want to give you six reasons why we must be very serious about giving our children and grandchildren a biblical worldview. And this is not a, per se a part of my talk today, but I want to say to you grandchildren are here, who are uh, grandparents who are here, I should say, that you play a critical role in the spiritual development of your grandchildren. Dr. Josh Mulvihill, who has several tables, books on our table back there, including one or two on grandparenting, uh, has written eight books now, or edited eight books on biblical grandparenting. And over the years that he's been working for Renew a Nation, he has absolutely convinced me that we underestimated the power of grandparents in the spiritual development of children. And so I'm not just throwing your name in on this talk today, folks. Grandmas and grandpas, I want you to listen closely because you're going to play a critical role in the development of your grandchildren. And I saw some of you grandmas and grandpas 
And I just saw the looks on your faces when you, you know, you were looking at your grandchildren into your grandchild's eyes up here. There's nothing like it, is there? There's nothing like it. And so uh, I hope you'll really listen closely uh, this morning. Let me begin this morning by giving you a definition of the term worldview. It can sound confusing. It should not. All of you have one. A worldview is that set of presuppositions and beliefs that we use to interpret and form opinions and values concerning life, humanity, family, authority, justice, truth, duty, etc. Our worldview is the big picture and culmination of all of our beliefs. It's the way we understand reality. It is the basis from which we make all of our daily decisions. Um, I like to say that we are living out a biblical worldview. So really, uh, you, when you're developing a biblical worldview, you, you have one if you understand the core beliefs of Scripture. And ha- but, but it even goes beyond just understanding the core beliefs. If you understand the core beliefs of Scripture, you don't have a fully developed worldview until you understand how to apply all of Scripture to all of life. So Christ is Lord over the church, and Christ is Lord over worship music and studying your Bible, but did you know that Christ is Lord over business and medicine and law, and Christ is Lord over physics and geometry And science and history, Christ is Lord over everything, and the scriptures have something to say about everything. We only have developed a biblical worldview once we understand how to apply all of scripture to all of life. Every adult here this morning has a fully developed worldview. It may be a biblical worldview, it may be an unbiblical worldview. If you're like most Christians across America that I speak to, you have what I call a hybrid worldview. All of us are somewhat, somewhat have a hybrid worldview. That is, in many areas of our life, we understand God's truth and we understand how to apply it to whatever area of our life uh, that we're uh, you know, looking at at this moment in time. But most of us have some areas of our lives where we truly don't have a biblical worldview, We don't understand what God says about our business or whatever it is, and so we don't apply God's truth to that area. And I can promise you this morning, take out sickness, but any other area of your life where you are having disharmony, where you are having challenges and problems and difficulties, I promise you if we were to examine your life, we could see somewhere where you're not living according to a biblical worldview. And it's causing these challenges and difficulties in your life. So every adult here already has a fully developed worldview. Every child represented here this morning, those who are physically here, those who are not here, but they're your children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren, every child represented here this morning is in the process of developing a worldview. Again, it's not will they have a worldview, it's which one will they have. And I can promise you that the world is into worldview training. They're trying to teach our children how to think about every area of life. The world is doing this. Satan is doing this every single day. And as moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas who are believers, we must, need, we must understand that we better be in the worldview shaping business. We better be pouring God's truth into our kids' hearts and minds if we hope to see them turn out the way that we dream when they're first born. I'm privileged to speak several times a year with George Barna. I don't know if you know who George Barna is, but he is the leading Christian sociologist in the United States over the last 40 years. And uh, in, in one of the speeches he gives, when we speak together, he, has, he says this every time, and it fascinates me every time, and it makes me think every time. He says, 
in all of his 40 years of research, he has determined that the core set of beliefs, the worldview that a child has at 13 years of age is statistically the worldview they will die with. And he says that each and every time. And I've said that in a number of places and somebody will come up and say, well, I didn't have a biblical worldview. I got saved at 30 years old and Jesus changed my whole thinking. I said, praise God. But what he's saying is the vast majority of young men and women, whatever they believe, their core set of beliefs by the time they're 13 years old, that is the core set of beliefs they will die with. I've also discovered... Okay, I missed the slide there, but whoever has the most access to the hearts and minds of our children and grandchildren will determine which worldview they develop. There we go, thank you. Our worldview, our core set of beliefs, what we believe really, really matters. I'm from a huge family, nine children. My oldest, I was fourth of nine. My oldest brother, Jimmy, is four years older than me, and Jimmy was my hero. And when I was in about the third grade, um, I had a false set of beliefs that almost got me into deep trouble. So we had these clubs when I was growing up. We grew up out in the country, and honestly, we, my parents didn't have television. We didn't have any video games. We, didn't have, we made up all of our own games. They were very dangerous, and the only reason we are here is because God did not want us to die. That is the God's honest truth. If I told you all the things we did, you'd be very ashamed of my pastor as a father. My father is a pastor. But anyhow, he didn't know half of it. That's the good news. But this, we, we had this thing about having clubs. We lived out in the country. We had a bunch of friends. I actually had a pony I rode around on all the time. And another friend of mine had a pony named Sugarfoot. And we actually played cowboys and Indians on real ponies. It was awesome. And um, this one time, so we always had these clubs. For whatever reason, we were starting clubs. And, you know, we always had initiation rights, okay? You, you had to be initiated to get into any of our clubs. I will remember the club that I was one of the leaders of. I started it, and the initiation right was you had to eat cow manure to get into the club. Honest <laughs> truth. But we were kind of generous because we let them eat dry cow manure so it tasted like chips. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't that bad. I, I started that club and I didn't get, Jimmy started that club and I was one of the leaders so we didn't have to go through that but anyhow <laughs> he started another club though one day with my buddy Kevin Kevin was my friend he wasn't Jimmy's friend Kevin was like my age and Jimmy stole my best friend and put him in his club okay and so I wanted to be in that club so bad that I came to Kevin and Jimmy and this club was up in a tree right by the road, the country road where we lived. And so literally, um, Jimmy and Kevin were climbing up in the tree and they wouldn't let me get up in the tree. And they said, the only way to climb this tree and be in this club, you gotta go through initiation. You know that. Well, I said, what is the initiation? I'm telling you, I'm talking about my worldview causing me some serious trouble. So my brother Jimmy, being the hellion that he was... He said to me, in order to be in this club, you have to, and he reached down and picked up a rock, about that big. And he said, you have to stand on this country road and hit the next car that comes by. Now, my little fool mind, okay, said, that's a brilliant idea. I, I just want to get in the tree. I want to be in the club, man. Who cares? I didn't think about consequences, okay? I just wanted to be in the club. So my little ignorant mind said, it's a great idea, go for it. So here I am, I stepped right on the pavement. You're talking barely a two-lane road in the country where only one car came by every 15 to 20 minutes. 
So it wasn't like I was going to hide anywhere <laughs> if I did this. But I stood there, and Jimmy and Kevin are back over there a little bit behind me, and they're agging me on and saying, do it, Jeff. You want to be in our club? I said, I want to be in the club. And here comes this old green station wagon with a dear elderly man driving it. And so help me God, I wound up, and I socked him right in the passenger door. I don't know if you ever did anything dumb like that when you were a kid, but the moment you do it, you come back to your senses. You know what I'm saying? And you realize immediately, I'm an idiot and I'm going to die any moment now. The funniest thing that happened was I knew immediately that I had better separate my, separate my body from that scene. And so I took off flying across the field, running full speed ahead. My brother to this day says, Jeff, the only thing I remember about that was the bottom of your white tennis shoes flying up and down as you trucked and God does have a sense of justice because that man came back. He, he locked his brakes up. He came flying backwards. By the time he got back there, I was long gone. And he blamed the whole thing on my brother Jimmy. Listen, he did. He goes, you did it. And Jimmy said, no, I didn't do it. My brother did. He wouldn't hear a thing of it. He blamed the whole thing on Jimmy. Hallelujah. God is good. I remember... I flew, we did this next door to the parsonage. You would love to have had our family at your church. Um, and so I flew in the back door of the church parsonage and my mother was standing there. I must have looked like I'd just seen a ghost and I'll never forget what she said. What have you done, Jeffrey? <laughs> and I said, if I, if I tell you, you promise you'll never tell my dad. <laughs> and she said, if you promise, you'll never do it again. And I told her, and she didn't tell my dad, and that's why I'm here today. Otherwise, I would not be here. And I never did it again. I threw some corn at cars after that, but not rocks. I kept my word. <laughs> my false beliefs as a young boy almost got me into serious trouble. On a much more serious note, on 9-11, 19 young men believed with all their hearts that they were doing the work of God by killing 3,000 Americans. And they were dead wrong. And it cost them their lives. And it cost 3,000 Americans their lives. And it's cost hundreds of thousands of people across the oceans their lives to this day. You see, I've watched those videos of those guys walking through the metal detectors. They weren't crazy. They weren't mentally ill. But from the time these kids were this big, it had been pumped into their brain that if they would kill the infidels, God would honor them. If they would kill especially those American infidels. God will be waiting in heaven with massive rewards. And so they had somehow, they were so convinced, their worldview training had been so strong that they literally believed that if they did this, it was going to, it was going to bless them for all eternity. And now we know all the pain, the suffering, I've got a nephew that went to Afghanistan multiple times in the Marines. He's got PTSD. My brother spent 24 years in the military. He was in Iraq chasing down bad guys. He spent four years at Walter Reed Medical Center trying to recover from the things that happened to him there. Worldviews have consequences. What you believe really matters. Our worldview, our, what we believe, determines our actions, and our actions have real-life consequences for good or bad. Our nation is a mess this morning because millions of people are living by a false worldview. Quickly, let me give you six reasons why we must give our children and grandchildren a biblical worldview. I will say quickly, often it means nothing, but it gives you hope each time I say it. 
First of all, we must give our children a biblical worldview because our children belong to God. Our children belong to God. We are only their managers and their stewards. Listen to me, you beautiful young families up here who dedicated your children. I'm so, so grateful that you saw the need to do this this morning. Because as your pastor read, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Do you know we live in a world that doesn't value children any longer? Do you know that I've read articles recently, young couples who say, we're not having children. We don't want the hassle. We don't want the expense. We want to drive. We want to travel to Paris. We want to take vacations. We want to buy fancy cars. We don't want children. They are a burden. I was in an automotive shop literally a few weeks ago, and I was blown away. This bold, brassy woman walked in there, and I could tell she was just in charge. She was talking dirty to the guy running the shop. I was like, who in the world is it? And she had an 11-year-old girl with her. I know because I asked the girl how old she was. And literally, what shocked me about this woman was somewhere in her smart aleck, cynical talking to all these people, she turned around and said, yeah, I don't even know I had that one. And I thought, okay, wait a minute, she's joking. She wasn't. And honestly, you're messing with the wrong dude. I sat there and I couldn't stop myself. I said, you're going to be glad you had, her, you had her when you're 80 and you have somebody take care of you. And she smarted off and said, nah, I don't care about that. And this poor little girl was like, give that girl to me. I'll make sure she knows how valuable she is. So in our culture today, statistically, uh, young couples are waiting longer to get married. We do not value marriage. We do not value children like we should. Uh, we're waiting to, the average age of marriage is now about 29 years old. We have a prolonged adolescence, a prolonged, uh, irresponsible uh, youth period that we've developed, especially in the United States of America. So we're waiting longer to get married. We're, we're waiting longer to have children after we get married now, and we're having fewer and fewer children. So understand this. In the United States of America, in order to maintain a population, first of all, let me say this. In order to maintain a population, you have to average 2.1 births per family just to stay even. In Europe now, this has been a massive problem amongst the European population for, for a couple decades now. They're only having about 1.2 children per family in Europe because they're long gone on their view, a biblical view of the family and children and all that kind of stuff, okay? They've lost that a long time ago. The Muslims in Europe are averaging over eight children per family. There are sociologists who believe that within 30 to 40 years, Europe will be ruled by Islam on birth rate alone. So the United States, we were hanging in there until, until about three or four years ago, and all of a sudden, we were up above two children per family for, for until three or four years ago, and there's just been this precipitous drop. We're down to something like 1.7 children per family in the United States of America all of a sudden because we do not value the tremendous blessing God has given us in our children as soon as our first daughter, Juliana, was born, and then our second daughter, Heidi, I realized I was responsible for their physical and even more importantly, their spiritual well-being. I was fully aware from day one that I would stand before God someday and give an account for how I had raised them. I've always known that God would not ask me about their position in life or their level of wealth. He would simply want to know if I taught them to know him, love him, and serve him with a passion. 
You say, don't you, didn't you inspire them to be this or that? No, not really. I just wanted them to come to know Christ, to love Christ, and to serve Christ with a passion. And we determined that if we would do that, then what they would follow the Lord wherever he led them. And I never cared one bit about what they became. I just want them to follow Jesus. So much so, I remember families in the church when I was still pastoring that would, you know, hardly let their kid go off on a bus to youth camp. Oh, they were just so sheltering and so scared to death. You know, we allowed our children, I think my two girls in their teen years took 14 missions trips. And I wasn't on them. I wasn't on most of those, okay? And so we decided that we were just going to give them to the Lord and I'll never forget when Juliana actually her first one was when she was 11 years old we had a great team from our church going to New York City and they had these prayer stations and they set them up in Times Square and it just said can we pray for you and she had a, all the kids put a frock on they just stood there on the streets of New York City and said can we pray for you that's what their, their, their frock said there and Juliana came back and dad dad I, I prayed with a bunch of people in New York City my little 11 year old People were walking up and saying, yeah, you pray for me. And she said, what well, can we pray for you? And then she would pray for them. And then they would share the gospel. My daughter Heidi, we sent her to Uganda. And uh, she literally, when she came back, she was on fire. She was like 15 or 16 years old. And she said, Dad, you're not going to believe what I did in Uganda. I said, what'd you do, honey? She's kinda, she was kind of my timid one, my backward one. She said, Dad, they took us out to a village. Dad, honest to God, these people were living in mud huts. And they were all Muslims. And Dad... I sat in their huts and I shared the gospel with them and dad, many of them prayed to be saved. I was like, oh my goodness. I didn't know they were taking her to a Muslim village. I'm not sure how to done with that. <laughs> really the scariest time was when Juliana was in Honduras and they got caught in a typhoon. Typhoon, monsoon, monsoon, there we go. And she, some, I, this was back when they were still emailing us, I think, the only way to communicate and she sent us an email and said, hey, Dad, it's, we got a monsoon going on, so we're going to be a week late coming home. And then she said, we're in this compound here in this city where the airport is, and uh, there's all kinds of barbed wire and stuff, jagged stuff on top of the walls, and we're not allowed to step outside the walls because they said they'll rob us immediately. I said, praise the Lord. I let her go to Honduras. <laughs> but it got much worse. When she flew into that airport, she literally said to me, she, she said, Dad, there was all kinds of airplanes. It's on top of a mountain. And she said there was airplanes crashed all along the side of the mountain. I'm dead serious. And I'm like, dear God in heaven, who planned this trip? I thought I trusted my missions leader. And then it got worse. This is the God's honest truth. They couldn't get out of there because of that rain. And so my wife and I, this is the God's honest truth. During the time she's stuck in Honduras in this little podunk holler town with a podunk holler airport where everybody crashes, we decided to watch a documentary called The World's 20th Most Dangerous Airport. This is God's honest truth. My wife and I, were sitting in our living room, our kids stuck in Honduras, there's crashes all around the airport, and we get down 18, 15, 10, 5, 3. It was the second most dangerous airport in the entire world, and I'd sent my little girl off over there. That's when I really had to say, she does belong to Jesus, and I believe he's going to take her before she gets home again. <laughs> Our children belong to God. Because of this passion I had to help them know, love, and serve Jesus, I determined I would do everything in my power to help them know God's truth, and I would do everything possible to make sure they would not be influenced by those who would lead them away from God's truth. Parents and grandparents, it is our resp primary responsibility to make sure that our children and grandchildren know, love, and serve the Lord. Everything in this culture is working against you, so you must be intentional and determined to make this a reality. Second reason, I will keep my other points shorter. Secondly, we want our children to grow up to bless our hearts, not break them. 
This is a sensitive, this is really sensitive every time I share this. We read in Proverbs 23, 24, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. We read in Proverbs 19, 13, a foolish son is a ruin to his father. And we read in Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now listen to what I'm gonna say. There is no absolute guarantee that if we give our children a biblical worldview, they will choose a path of righteousness. However, there is a guarantee that if we do not give them a biblical worldview, they will go astray and they will break our hearts because the world is going to fill their hearts and minds with falsehood. In the days gone by, you could just send your kids off to school, pat them on the head when they came home. Did you learn anything objectionable today? First of all, they hardly ever knew what you were talking about. They didn't even know what was objectionable. And we could take them to church and teach them a little at home and seem like they would stay in the church. Those days are long gone. We've lost tens of millions of children from the evangelical church in the last 40 years. Tens of millions have not come back to the faith. We didn't do our jobs. Here's just a few of the lies our kids are being told in the world today that we live in. They're being told the Bible is an old, out-of-date book that cannot be trusted. They're being told you can't believe in both science and the Bible. They're being told that sex outside of marriage is okay and even expected. Our kids are being told that homosexuality is good and normal. Now listen to me, I'm not a hater. I don't want to come in here and bash anybody. All through the years that I was a pastor, I ministered to those who struggle with same-sex attraction, to those who struggle with homosexual lifestyle. I cared for them, I loved them. I was by their bedside, some of them, as they died with AIDS. So I'm not a hater in any way, shape, or form, but I'll tell you what I am. I actually believe God's word is true. And I believe that God's way works best in the real world at all times and we must teach our children the truth on these issues our children are being told that their gender is fluid and may change listen your pastor told me that we uh, we have some really uh, quite a few missionaries to the public schools here today uh, as teachers and administrators and god i commend you for that but i want to challenge you on something i know all kinds of christian i have all kinds of christian friends who are in leadership and teach in public schools across america but here's what i say, i'm saying to them stand up for god's sake and fight you hear me stand up and fight there's been a great awakening in America, and obviously Christian schools are packed to the walls all across the United States. Homeschooling's gone, doubled, gone up, it's doubled, gone to over five million kids now. But there are also a movement in the public schools, Christian parents and Christian educators who are standing up and saying, enough is enough, we're not going to do this any longer. So I challenge you to fight. Listen, when we tell a 12 or 13 year old girl that she might be a boy, and we, we let her go down that path, we destroy her entire future. And now we've got kids in their 20s and 30s who transitioned to an opposite sex. Many of them had hormone treatments and sex, you know, surgeries. Listen to me, sex reassignment surgeries. They're coming back in their 20s and 30s now and saying, why did they let me do this? We're hearing it all the time. Stand up and fight. Our kids are being lied to. They're being told abortion is a good way to manage an irresponsible sex life. They're being told there are no absolutes. It's truly our kids are facing all kinds of disastrous stuff. Let me go back one, see if it'll do that. There we go. Now stop here. I have to say this every time I, I share this point, that we don't want our kids to grow up and break our hearts. We want them to bless our hearts. I guarantee you every person sitting before me right now has someone in your family who's broken your heart. You have a wayward child. You have a wayward grandchild. Of the nine Keaton kids, eight of us went into full-time Christian ministry over the last 30 years. By the way, my mom and dad, we gave them 41 grandkids. 
We now have 50-some great-grandkids. We are spreading like rabbits all across America. <laughs> but we had one of ours who went astray. He crushed our hearts. I watched my mom and dad die a thousand deaths. He was the eighth of the nine children. How? We raised them all in the same home. So when I was pastor and many elderly saints would come into my office and they would say this, Pastor Jeff, I'm the only one who prays for my lost son. Who's gonna pray for my son when I die? I'm gonna die in the next few years. Who is gonna be left to pray? And I, I told them what I wanna tell you this morning. I'd look them straight in the face and say, every prayer you ever prayed for that lost son is deposited eternally in the heart of a God who never dies. <laughs> Listen to me this morning. Listen to me. So I don't know if you have a wayward son or daughter or granddaughter or grandson. I'm telling you, don't you give up on them. Don't you dare give up on them. Stop beating on them. Start loving them with all of your heart, okay? They may have made decisions. They may have taken money from you. They may have done all kinds of crazy things. They may think you're crazy for still going to church. It doesn't matter. Love them with all of your heart. Pray until your last dying breath. And long after you're gone, God will continue to answer those prayers. I've also been on the other side of that coin leading 40, 50, 60, 70 year old people to Christ in my office and when they, they, when they were done praying to be saved, I can't tell you how many of them had tears running down their cheeks saying oh I wish my mother could be here she prayed for me until she died the last words she ever spoke to me was son please come to Christ and I was the one who was privileged to lead them to Christ long after their parents were gone so don't you dare stop praying God wants to help you and see your children saved. Number three, we must give our children and grandchildren a biblical worldview because we want our children to experience the joy and satisfaction that comes from living in harmony with God's law and design. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Blessed are those who walk in the law of the Lord. Did you realize that all of God's laws are filled with God's love? All of them. I meet these Old Testament, New Testament Christians. They say, well, God in the Old Testament was harsh and mean and nasty and killed people. In the New Testament, he was Jesus. He was loving, kind, and he gave mercy. All of God's laws are filled with God's love. His laws were put in place to protect us, not restrict us. I, I, my first church was almost eight years in the inner city of Miami, Fort Lauderdale. It was the wildest bunch of people. They had shocked and rocked you like you've never seen. You should have seen my mother the first time she visited me there. She was like, Jeffrey, had them people really been saved? I said, honey, they just had a halter top on and spandex. Who cares? I mean, they just got off the beach yesterday. But anyhow, my mom was like, she came from my last Sunday there in my eighth year. The place was packed to the walls. And I'll never forget what my mother said after that last Sunday. She said to me, Jeff, when I first started coming here, I couldn't imagine all these people being saved. But now, every time I came over the last years and I heard their testimonies, they put me under deep conviction because I've been in the church for a lifetime and they love Jesus more than I do. Some of those folks would say to me, I'll never forget, I, I, I had the face of one woman sitting before me and she said, but pastor, if I become a Christian, I'm afraid I won't be able to have much fun anymore. She was on her like a third or fourth husband. I said, how much fun have you been having? <laughs> 
literally. Hey, the way of the transgressor is hard, guys. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Really, it's true. If you live according to God's beautiful design and laws, good things come into your life. Just imagine our world if we just obeyed the Ten Commandments. Think about that. No stealing, no lying, no adultery. What a beautiful world it would be. God gave us his laws to bless us, not in any way restrict us. When we diligently teach our children and grandchildren the truth of God's word and help them see all of life through the lens of God's word, we set them up for a joyous life. No, we can never take away all their pain or tragedy, but we can help them to live under the blessings that come from living in harmony with God's good design. God's way is the best way. I want to say it again, and it always works out best in the real world. When our children and grandchildren come to know and love Christ and understand his will for their lives, they will not experience the unnecessary suffering that comes from breaking the law of God. And I really do have to hurry. We must give our children and grandchildren a biblical worldview because we want them to carry the Christian faith to generations to come. Do you want this church to be filled 40, 50, 60 years from now? You want it to be filled with your your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren? If it's going to be, we're going to have to teach them God's truth at a very deep level. In Judges chapter 2, verses 6 through 10, we see how quick faith can be lost in a family. I mean, faith can be lost in a generation. I've seen it over and over again. We're told in this passage that Joshua and the generation below him who had seen the great things the Lord had done, they served the Lord. So Joshua and the generation below him, they served the Lord. But listen. By the time we get to Joshua's grandchildren, we read these words, and it hurts me every time I read them. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Joshua and the generation below him knew the Lord. This generation, they don't even know what the Lord had done. If we hope to pass on the Christian faith to generations to come, we must be very intentional about teaching them the truth and shielding them from the false philosophies of the day until they are ready. Now, I was speaking at the Ronald Reagan Library a few years ago, and afterwards I went down to LAX, Los Angeles International Airport, to get on a plane. There is one prayer that God hardly ever answers. It's, Lord, could I have an empty seat between here and Washington, D.C.? He never answers that prayer. I'm always sitting next to two-ton Tony, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) But this night he answered that prayer. And I got on the airplane, I was on the back wall, which isn't the greatest place when you're by all the bathrooms for five hours of flight. But <clears throat> there was only, there was a young man about 30 years old sitting against the window. There was an empty seat in the middle and I was on the aisle. And I looked at that young guy and said, hey, this is our lucky flight. We're gonna have an empty seat in between us. And he looked at me and said, oh, I was hoping we would have a naked woman come sit with us. I thought this is gonna be an interesting five hour flight. Then I guess I kind of thought, well, you know, he has to get permission from me to go to the bathroom for the next five hours. This is going to be real interesting. And then he looked at me when I sat down. He goes, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> I told him, and he immediately said, oh, you're a man of faith. I'm a man of facts. I'm an agnostic. I thought, dear Lord in heaven, this is really going to be interesting now. So I just said, and I never argue with people, man, you don't win anybody by just being mean to them or arguing with them, but I do ask people questions I don't think they can answer. You want the best book on apologetics on that issue, it's called Tactics, 
T-A-C-T-I-C-S, by Brett Kunkel, I believe is his name. It's a weird last spell. Phenomenal book. Anyhow, I said, all right, so since I'm just a man of faith and you're such a man of facts, tell me how we got here. He just piped up, well, the Big Bang. I said, okay, so you believe in the Big Bang. Where did all the stuff come from that blew up? He thought for maybe like a minute. He's, um, uh, he said, oh, 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 I heard a mathematician give the formula for that one time. I said, really? I said, and what was his name? He didn't know the man's name and he didn't know the formula. I looked at him and sir, I said, sir, I'm going to congratulate you because in reality, you're a man of much greater faith than I am. He said, I'm not a man of faith. I said, oh, yes, you are. I have my faith in a God who gave us a book. I compare that book to reality. It makes tremendous sense. I said, you have your faith in a mathematician whose name you don't even know. And that took off on a two and a half hour intense worldview discussion. Those people in front of us got saved seven times in five hours. It was wild. But here's why I'm telling you this story. About halfway through that, first of all, he doesn't know what the church believes on hardly anything. Y'all believe this. I said, no, we don't. Let me tell you what we believe. You believe this. No, we don't. Let me tell you what we believe. It was, that's how it went the whole time. It's mostly y'all hate homosexuals. You do this, you do that, you know. About halfway through this intense talk, he said, well, I'm just going to be honest with you, Jeff. He said, my grandmother on the one side is a Southern Baptist woman. And my grandmother on the other side is a Mennonite woman. And my name is Matthew Adam. And here's what hit me then and has hit me even more since. I imagine that he was about 30 years old, 30 years earlier, a little Southern Baptist grandma and a little Mennonite grandma went to the hospital. And his mother thought so highly of the scriptures that she named him Matthew Adam. And here, this little Southern Baptist grandma, no doubt, picked up little Matthew Adam and looked in his beautiful little face and thought, oh, what a man of God he's going to become. No doubt the Mennonite grandmother did the same thing. And yet I am sitting with him on the back of an airplane 30 years later, and he doesn't believe a single thing his grandparents believed. Faith can be lost like that if we do not pour the truth of God into the hearts and minds of our children. Fifth reason why we must lead our children to Christ and instill a biblical worldview of their heart and mind is we want to spend all eternity with our children and grandchildren. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Parents, there's all, my, my oldest daughter was an all-state basketball player. She was a great basketball player. And we had some big decisions to make. She could have played small college basketball. She wasn't a D1 candidate, but she could have played some small college ball. And we had to work through some of those tough things of like travel ball and all this stuff. And at the end of the day, I was determined with all of my heart that even if I had to pay for her college and I, she did not get a scholarship, that the one thing I would never sacrifice was the spiritual growth opportunities that we poured into her life throughout the year. 
And I'm so grateful that we came to this big decision. AAU teams were recruiting her and trying to get her to play all summer long. And literally, I sat down without saying what I was thinking. I said, Juliana, let's evaluate this. If we were to do this, you would miss this family camp, that team camp. You know, and I didn't even say it in a negative way. I said, let's, let's talk. She looked at me. I just, thank God, it was easy for me. She goes, I'd miss family camp? And I'd have to miss that camp? Ain't no way I'm doing that. I wouldn't miss those camps for nothing. I said, thank you, Jesus. We didn't have to fight that one out. So here's what I'm saying to you. Sports are awesome. They're great character-building tools. But if you make that the God of your child's life, and you, you, you cheat them out of so many spiritual growth and development opportunities, you will regret it someday if they do not serve Christ and they do not love Christ. It could be a thousand other things. It could be dance. It could be all kinds of things. Whatever you do here. I like to say, what is a prophet a child if they make it to Harvard but never make it to heaven? What is a prophet a child if they make it to MLB? But never, you can make it to MLB. You can go to Harvard. But make sure you don't sacrifice heaven. A guy came up to my brother and he said, uh, an 11-year-old boy, my brother's a pastor, and he said, I have, uh, he said, Pastor, I just want to let you know we're going to be gone for a few Sundays playing travel baseball. Troy's not, that's not terribly uncommon in his church. He's got a bunch of people. He's like, all right, how many Sundays are you going to be gone? He goes, we'll be gone for the next 22 straight Sundays. The boy was 11. When that boy was 17, he had zero desire to be in church. And the father had the audacity to come to our student ministries pastor and say, what is wrong with your church? My son has no interest. What is a prophet of man? What is a prophet of mom and dad? If your children reach all the things this world calls great, but they don't make it to heaven, it profits you nothing. So make sure you're very, very intentional. So if giving our children a biblical worldview is such a great idea, how are we doing? And I have got to hurry, and I mean it. So let me just tell you about our millennials. They're the 21 to 41-year-olds in the United States right now. They're born, a lot of people throw around different years, but uh, they're generally in this area. 78 million of them, the largest generation in American history. On target to be the most educated generation in American history, they're also on target to be the least religious generation in American history. There's, there's a direct correlation there, folks. 76% um, of the 21 to 41 year olds in the United States of America do not attend church. 80% declare they are not born again. 94% of the millennials deny belief in one or more of the cardinal doctrines of Christianity. 67, 60 to 70% support same-sex marriage. And I asked George Barna to his face. I said, what are you, just not too long ago, I said, what's the latest statistics on the millennials having a biblical worldview? And he looked at me and said, do you want to get depressed? I said, no. He said, the best I can research, our research is showing right now, about 4% of the young men and women born from 1980 to 2000 in America do only 4% have a biblical worldview. Any wonder why all of our laws are changing? Any wonder why we're electing people who don't share our values? Because we raised a massive generation that does not share our values. Is there any hope for this generation now that I've got you all depressed? You better believe there is. Because then here's number six, if you're writing down. Six reason why we must give our children and grandchildren a biblical worldview is because when you win the heart and mind of just one child, they can literally change the world. This is TJ. He came into, we had, a, we had a thriving Christian school. He came into our school in the fourth, third or fourth grade. We had him for nine years total. We had a very serious biblical worldview program in our school. I hired a guy that was in a genius club. He was a genius. 
And he, 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 he had our students from 7th to 12th grade teaching them biblical worldview. And we integrated biblical worldview into all subjects, but this was aggressive. And so he said to me, when I hired this guy, he said, what's your goal for me? What do you, what, what's the outcome? I said, here's what the outcome is. When our kids graduate from this school and go to Virginia Tech, University of Virginia, or wherever they land, and they get in that first world religions class where that guy mocks their parents, mocks their Bible, mocks Christianity, whichever school has bunches of those guys now. I said, I want him to have heard every living argument he's going to make. And I want them to know why he's not telling the truth. And I want them to know what the truth is. That was what we shot for. We didn't, we didn't bat a thousand, but we batted pretty well. If you'd have come to my school when this kid was in his senior year of high school and said, said uh, Pastor Jeff, pick out one of your seniors that you think will do the best in a non-Christian university. I wouldn't have picked that TJ, honestly. Good kid from a good Christian home. But he just never showed me any signs that he was doing the research. You know, I didn't catch him off in the corner reading a biblical worldview book ever. And yet he goes out of our school, like a lot of 18-year-olds, he rolls in a, a local non-Christian college. And for the first time in eight years, he had a professor that hated Christianity. The guy mocked Christianity. The guy was pro-abortion, pro-homosexuality. And TJ just like kept his mouth shut. Well, for whatever reason, this professor continuously, there was 25 kids in the class. TJ was the only one that had a biblical worldview educational background. And he split the class in half as much as he could and had him debate all kinds of subjects. You know, it was like, what's the best restaurant in our city? And for whatever reason, all the subjects were benign. Whatever reason, TJ's debate team kept winning debate after debate. He won every single debate. I think because we didn't teach him group think. We taught him how to think. We taught him critical thinking and logic and all kinds of amazing things. So this kid was ready for whatever the debate was. One day, he was doing so well that this godless professor came over to him one day and said, all I can say for you, son, is you ought to become a lawyer because you're really amazing at this debate stuff. And everything was going swell until TJ walked in one day and the guy said, today we're going to debate abortion. Struck terror to his heart. He'd already heard this teacher talk about how much he thought abortion was a great thing and all this kind of stuff. And then the teacher said, all right, if you're for abortion, come over to this side. And TJ watched in horror as 23 young men and women came over here. They were for abortion. He said, I was the only one who stood up and said, I'm against abortion. And he said, one kid said, I don't know what I'm for, but I'm going with TJ because he wins all the debates. <laughs> TJ's dad told me this story first, and I went and sat down with TJ because I wanted to hear it from the horse's mouth. He said, man, I was scared. Honest to God, I'm one kid, one kid against a professor and 23 other students. And I thought, here's what exactly what he said. I wish I'd have listened to Mr. Duncombe's classes a lot more. <laughs> He said, we, we hashed out the issue of abortion over and over again, but I just didn't know if I'd retained what I needed to retain to win this argument, to win this debate. He said, the teacher looked at the 23 students and said, since there are so many of you, you go first. And he said, I was like, this is going to be the struggle of my life right here. And he said, I was waiting for powerful, persuasive arguments. And he said, the more they talked, the more I started getting confident. <laughs> he said, literally, he didn't call the kids stupid. He said, I thought, man, these arguments are stupid. And then it was his turn. And TJ basically said, I don't know where it came from, but it just started coming. Let me tell you something. You baptize kids in the truth for all their life. When they need the truth, God the Holy Spirit will bring it to their heart and mind. 
And TJ said, I just started making point after point after point after point. And he said, finally, he said, I just got some kind of boldness. And when I was all done with all my points, he said, in reality, if what I've just said is true, every time you abort a baby, you're murdering a child. He said that in a non-Christian public university. Obviously, the professor, as he did at the end of every debate, he said, if you have changed your mind today, switch sides. And TJ was blown away when all 23 young men and women came over to his side. It just took one young man who loved Christ, had a well-developed biblical worldview, who could win the hearts of 24 other young men and women. This is the mission of Renew a Nation. We want to release millions of TJs into this culture. It's the mission of your church and your school. You want to release young men and women like this. All right, so what can we do as we come towards a close? As Christian parents and grandparents, what should we do? First of all, we've got to acknowledge there's a problem. We've lost children out of the church by the tens of millions. We've got to get serious about this. Secondly, we need to evaluate and manage their media intake. No generation in the history of mankind has grown up with such evil in their hands. I'm, I'm all for technology. You understand me? I love technology. I travel all over America nonstop. And I love the fact that I have my team. We got 40 or 50 people working for us across the country. I can talk to any of them at all times. I get emails, texts, everything else. I praise God for tech. God's Lord over technology. You, you understand that? As human beings, we're taking dominion of the earth and bending creation back to God's design. That's what technology is. It's a good thing. But it can be used for evil like everything else. Our kids are growing up. So let me listen to me, mom and dads. I never cared one hoot about what any other set of parents was doing. My girls would come home and they would say, Dad, you know, uh, so-and-so, they let them do this. Why do they get to do it and we don't? I said, because their parents are straight crazy. <laughs> yeah, I didn't care one bit. The parents were crazy, half the things they were letting them do, all right? So, so if you ever need any help, at Renew Nation, we have some people on our team that can help you have resources. You better watch what's going on in your kids' phones and their computers and their televisions because there's evil out there grabbing them. I could tell you a story about a Christian mom and dad who called me and their kid had gotten hooked up online and at school and at 17 years old he walked in and told his mom and dad he was going to become a girl, a boy. He was going, this boy. They were shocked. He'd been dating girls. Come to find out he'd gotten in chat rooms and he had other people encouraging him. Blew their minds. Devastated their lives in, in ways I can't even tell you. Next you need to examine their educational experience. I know you have a Christian school here. God bless that great work you're doing. Make that as excellent as you possibly can. Some of you probably have your children in public schools. You understand that they're not going to develop a biblical worldview as a result of what they're being taught there. So you're going to have to coach them at home a lot. You have to teach them at home. Do not, do not uh, abdicate your role in teaching at home. Third, you need to become a student of biblical worldview. If you're, going to, if you're going to deal with the big arguments that are being made to your children out there, you're going to have to know what's going on. And I'll offer you a resource or two here in just a moment. You need to help your church make a greater impact. I've asked many pastors across America, if the only thing a kid knew was what your church taught him from 0 to 18 years old, what would they know when they left your church at 18? And I've had some honest pastors say, not very much. So as churches, and I, I'm impressed with your pastor, Brian, here. I think he's probably taking this very serious. But you need to look at, you educators know this, scope and sequence. What are we going to teach them from here? We need to come back to that idea, and we're going to roll this all the way up to 18 years old so that we, they will know a ton by the time they leave our church. So let me just say this. The reason education is such a big deal, you realize a child from kindergarten to 12th grade will spend 16,000 hours at school, and they'll spend only about 2,000 hours at church if they come twice a week. 
We just don't have them for enough time if we don't, if they're not in a Christian school. And so you got to make sure your church is doing a, a, as good a job as you possibly can. And then you got to train them at home. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, we've abdicated our roles. We've turned education over to the professionals. We've turned a spiritual development over to the church. And we step back and say, well, the church isn't doing a good job or the school or whatever it is. No, at the end of the day, the church isn't going to stand, this church isn't going to stand before God. You and I are going to stand before God and give an account for our children and grandchildren. And this is Dr. Josh Mulvihill who works for us. He had a church where he had 1,000 children in it every Sunday. And he decided to change the whole paradigm from attractional entertainment, fun, fun and games, to where he trained parents and grandparents to teach kids at home, and they revolutionized that church. And so here's the tools. I never want to come and talk to you and then not give you something, some tool to go do this. So Dr. Mulvihill wrote the book, Biblical Worldview, What It Is, Why It Matters, and How to Pass It On to the Next Generation. It's a primer. It's not written in philosophical terms. It's simple. It's clear. We also have some magazines back there. The magazines are absolutely free. The Biblical Worldview book is 10 bucks, okay? Tremendous resources. And then I've got to tell you this, and I'm truly coming to a close. Dr. Mulvihill and I were speaking out in Minnesota at a one-day Biblical Worldview conference. You think you've had bad weather? Listen, this is the God's honest truth. It was in Baxter, Minnesota. It was 27, negative 27, 27 below zero, actual temperature. Who knows what the, the, the windshield was? And it, was snow, it snowed five inches, and we had 300 people in the conference. Those people in Minnesota, I stood up and said, you're plumb crazy. I don't even want to be here. What are you doing here? But anyhow, so Josh was giving one of his closing speeches, and he tells this story, and it blew my mind. I'd never heard him talk about it. He said, when I was 17 years old, my parents took me out to breakfast one day and they slid this old piece of paper across the table to me. And here's what they said. Josh, when you were just a little boy, we sat down and wrote down all the things we wanted you to know before you left home. And we've been working on this for your whole life. And Josh said, I looked at this piece of paper and my whole life flashed before my eyes and there were all these dates and check marks. And he said, I was like, oh, that's why dad took me on that trip and spent so much time teaching me that one thing. That's why they taught me inductive Bible study. That's, they even had things like small engine repair on this thing. It was, it was everything you could imagine. Josh said, of all the things, like 50 items, he said, I looked at him and said, give up on small engine repair. It ain't never gonna happen. Well, he tells that story. And I'm like, the first thing I said, where's that list? I gotta, get a, I gotta get hands on my hands on that list. Afterwards, we go back to our book table. Those young families lined up at the book table and the only thing, question they had was, Josh, where's the list? I looked at him on that day, it was about three years ago, and I said, that is your next book. So he wrote a book, we released it last August, called 50 Things Every Child Needs to Know Before Leaving Home. It is a tremendous resource. Here it is right here. So... I only stop and say this because you can't imagine. I was at a church, a big, large church down in North Carolina last week. The pastor stood up and said, he's leading a whole young, group of young couples through this right now. He said, this is the greatest book on parenting I've ever seen. And only say it for this reason. The first 20% is what does biblical parenting success look like? The rest of it are all those 50 things, one at a time with all kinds of other recommended resources. It's one per child. You can see here, here's a picture. Take a photo of your child with his, his or her pet all the way through there's things like this so that you work this book their whole life four five six key things a year and then when they leave your home you hand it to them it's got all their pictures it's got all kinds of places to make notes of how you actually train them this is this is one of the greatest resources obvious it's the greatest resource we have personally ever developed here at renewal nation 
to help parents give their children a biblical worldview. You can pick that up back there. It is $25. It's discounted today. This is a big, thick, hardback. It's very expensive to print, but they're normally $30, and don't go to Amazon. They're more than that. We have them here for $25 a day. This and I'm done. This is my three-year-old grandson, Marshall. Isn't he a cutie? And here's something that dawned on me over the last three years as I've been interacting with this beautiful little boy. It dawned on me one day that I'm not just, when I'm investing in Marshall, I'm not investing in the next 18 years when he goes off on his own. It hit me one day that it's highly likely that his children will still be alive 100 years from now. Think about that. So you have these kids in your church and we kind of think 18 years. We got them for 18 years. No, no. We're going to directly impact them for the next 100 years and beyond and obviously throughout eternity. But to think that my grandson's children will still likely be in this world 100 years from now put a different kind of weight on me. But it also gave me a sense of hope. You know how we change the next 100 years? Teach these kids the truth. Lead them to Christ. They'll teach their kids the truth and they'll lead them to Christ and they'll teach their kids the truth and they'll lead. We can inf- directly impact the next 100 plus years if we will invest in our children and grandchildren. I know how much you love your kids and grandkids because I know how much I love mine. I don't want a one of them to go out there and believe the lies of this world. Do you? I want them to know the truth because the truth will set them free to bring God immense glory in this world, to create human flourishing, to take dominion of the earth and bend creation back towards God's original design. That's what we're praying for. Lord Jesus, thank you for these beautiful people who've listened so well today. I ask you each time I speak that you would do something divine. That is, would you spark something in a heart or mind that would forever change the destiny of your child and that would result at the end of the day in more children in this church beginning a new or more rigorous process of developing a biblical worldview. I leave that up to you now, Lord. I've done the best I know how. Bless these families and this church and this pastor in every way. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.